if you're physically able. Will you stand with me as we read God's Word out of reverence and respect for it? We're in Exodus chapter 25, <clears throat> verse 10. They shall make an ark of acacia wood. Two and a half cubits shall be its length, a cubit and a half its width, and a cubit and a half its height. And you shall overlay it with pure gold. Inside and out you shall overlay it and make on it a molding of gold all around. You shall cast four rings of gold for it and put them in its four corners. Two rings shall be on one side and two rings on the other side. And you shall make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. You shall put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark that the ark may be carried by them. The poles shall be in the rings of the ark and they shall not be taken from it. And you shall put into the ark the testimony which I give you. You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. It will be two and a half cubits shall be its length and a cubit and a half its width. And you shall make two cherubim of gold and hammered work you shall make them at the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub at one end and the other cherub at the other end. You shall make the cherubim at the two ends of it in one piece with the mercy seat. And the cherubim shall stretch out their wings above, covering the mercy seat with their wings, and they shall face one another. The faces of the cherubim shall be toward the mercy seat. You shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony that I will give you. Listen to these precious words. And there I will meet with you. And I will speak with you from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim, which are on the ark of the testimony about everything which I will give you in commandment to the children of Israel. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Appreciate that. <clears throat> we come to the seventh, sixth and seventh pieces of furniture that we find in the ark, I mean in the tabernacle. As you recall, and those of you who have been with us on this journey and those of you who are visiting with us this morning, we've been going through a piece by piece study of the tabernacle as it's revealed to us in the book of Exodus, and we've been looking all over the Bible to glean the truth from it that points directly toward our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, because all elements of it do. You, you know, if you uh, look at the seven pieces, there are seven pieces of furniture. The first piece, when you come into the, into the, uh, into the tabernacle, is the, the bronze altar. And if you'll recall, we talked about the bronze altar, and the, the bronze altar is a picture of the cross of Calvary. It's where the lamb and the goat's blood was spilt, there on the altar and burnt as sacrifice as a picture of what God would one day do, a preview of coming attractions where God would one day slay His Son on the cross of Calvary as an offering for our sin. So it's a picture of Calvary. Then we came next to the bronze labor. And it's the washing place. And it speaks of our fellowship with the Lord. That we enter into a relationship with the Lord at the bronze altar. That's where the cross, that's, the, that's how we enter into a relationship. But the fellowship is based upon holy living. And at that point at the bronze labor is where we wash. And we wash with the water of the Word. And we let the Word wash us daily. We go to daily to that labor and wash there so we can enter into the kind of fellowship that God has planned for His people. We have a relationship as His covenant people. But it's the fellowship. It's the fellowship that's impaired by unrighteous living. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. So that's the second piece of furniture. Then when you go into the most holy place, which is the place of covering there in the middle. You go to the holy place and then the most holy place on end. There are three pieces of furniture you'll recall in the holy place. 
The first one is the table of the showbread, of the presence of God. It's where the bread was kept. And the priests fed upon that bread. And that bread is a picture of the body of Jesus Christ. And how wonderful it is this morning that we're going to take of the Lord's Supper and we're going to break the bread to remind us of the fact that our redemption was purchased not with corruptible things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. And so we move into a place of fellowship there in the holy place. So the table of the showbread is uh, piece number three. Then right across the, t uh, the room from the table of the showbread is the golden lampstand, you'll recall. And we talked about how the fact that the golden lampstand illuminates the whole place in the holy place. That the place is covered and, uh, with four coverings on top of it and there's no light let in except the light that is gleaned and enjoyed by the light of the golden candle, candle stand. And uh, that, the golden lampstand, that golden lampstand is symbolic of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And we talked about time and again that one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, when He comes, He will testify of Me. And so it's through the testimony of the Holy Spirit that the Son is known, primarily through the Scriptures, because the Holy Spirit wrote the Bible and breathed upon it through men and penned the words of Scripture. You remember we talked about it and we sent this home with you to take this as an exercise with your children. The, the, the Trinitarian, the, the, the Trinitarian uh, plan to accomplish our salvation, that God the Father planned it, planned the great work of salvation, that God the Son purchased it through His death on the cross and resurrection at Calvary, and God the Holy Spirit makes it known. And the primary way that He makes it known is through the Scriptures. So that light, that illumination, comes from the illuminating power of the Holy Spirit. That's piece number four. Then we went last week and we did a two-week message on number five. And piece number five is the, the uh, altar of incense. It's the golden altar. And it talks about the intercessory relationship, prayer relationship that Jesus has on behalf of His children. Amber, and aren't you grateful for that? The Bible says in Hebrews 9.25, that, that, uh, 7.25, that Jesus Christ is at the Father's right hand and what? Ever lives to make intercession for us. And so it's the prayers of our intercessory high priest Jesus Christ the righteous one and the incense that rise above it and God lets us in on that intercession and more importantly are also that the Holy Spirit the Bible says in Romans chapter 8 intercedes for us for word, uh, petitions that are too deep for words and so we're involved in that intercession that goes on there and so that altar that's, for, that's piece number 5 and then we move into the veil oh my goodness Stay, stay tuned for coming attractions. When we get into the veil and start looking at that, you're going to want to shout and run around the building. I'm telling you right now, I can't wait about the bust. I'm, I tell you right now to go into that. But anyhow, we go into the veil. And when you move into the veil, we're in the most holy place. And the last two pieces of furniture in the holy place. Now we think of that piece of furniture, the Ark of the Covenant, is one piece, but it's actually two. And we just read about it this morning. We have the Ark itself. And inside the Ark, it contains, so you say, what's inside the ark? Well, one of the things that's inside the ark is in Exodus chapter 31, verse 18. Look at it with me. Exodus 31 and verse 18. It tells us when God gave Moses instructions about all of this, he said, 31, 18, and when he had made an end of the speaking with him on Mount Sinai, in other words, when God had made an end of speaking with Moses on Mount Sinai, he gave Moses two tablets of the testimony tablets of stone written with the finger of God. That's what's inside the ark. It's the Ten Commandments written by the finger of God inside the ark. And then, of course, the manna 
and Aaron's rod that budded. But we'll go into the rest of those and the symbolism associated with those as we go through the tabernacle, the, the Ark of the Covenant. But the Ark of the Covenant was the Ark itself, and it was opened. That's piece number six. Piece number seven, however, is the covering known as the mercy seat. And we just, gave, we just saw a description of how it was to be built. And the cherubim were supposed to be on either side of it. You've seen pictures of it before. And Spencer's going to put up one right now so we can see it. And we're going to see the covering of the mercy seat on the ark. And you see the two cherubim, and both of them are looking down at the mercy seat. And that mercy seat, we'll get into it more later, is, is symbolic of Jesus' substitutionary death on the cross, whereby His blood interposed and went in between God's righteous judgment as evidenced by God hovering up above it in the Shekinah glory and the wall beneath that we broke. And if that mercy seat weren't there, the only thing that God would see in that ark would be the tablets of stone and the curses associated with those who had broken it. He would see us and he, all we would experience is God's righteous judgment. But in between God's righteous judgment and us as violators of lawbreakers steps in the mercy seat. Praise be to God. Hallelujah. Amen. And we'll get more into that. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Alright, now here we go. Let's go back and look. We're going to go back and just look at some things. But that's what's inside the Ark of the Covenant. So we have seven pieces of furniture. Seven pieces of furniture in the in the tabernacle, and listen, I'm, I'm just going to mention this 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 morning. We're going to do this is just an overview of the Ark of the Covenant. We're going to probably do about four or five messages on this whole, most holy place, uh, at, uh, at at least four or five probably. But this morning, I'm just going to try to give you an overview. Now, as it relates to light, as it relates to light, do you remember that there are three sources of light in the tabernacle? Do you remember that? There are three ways that the tabernacle is lit. All right, now in the courtyard, do you remember how it's lit there? Natural sunlight. Natural sunlight. If you're a courtyard believer and you've not moved into a place of intimate fellowship with the Lord, you've got just as much light as the lost man does. And you're operating under the same light that the lost man. As a matter of fact, could it be said that maybe one of the major problems in the church today in America is that we're operating under the same sunlight that the pagan man operates under. We make our decisions the same way. Our priorities are ordered the same way. And we're listening to just as much revelation as they've been given. And there's virtually no difference between our life and theirs because we're not informed by an intimate walk. It's a tragedy. So it's the natural sunlight in the outer court that a courtyard believer, you don't want to be a courtyard believer. You want to be a believer that moves on in. And then in the holy place, what did we just talk about? What's the holy place lit up by? The golden lampstand. What is the golden lampstand symbolic of? The ministry of the Holy Spirit. And as the Holy Spirit begins to illuminate on the inside, and we begin to be able to see the activity of God, here's the way we live most of the time as Christians. We come up with our plans, and then we turn around and pray to God and ask Him to bless them. But the pattern of Christian living in the Bible is to go before the Lord and seek Him for His plans and then expect Him to bless them. Illuminated by the Holy Spirit and quickened by the Word of the living God. The Bible says, Ponder the path of your feet that all your ways may be established. What? By the Word of the living God. We've talked about it time and again. When Peter was looking out on the water and saw Jesus coming to him and he was walking on the water. 
And all the disciples, we talk about his impetuous nature. We talk about his type A personality. He was just a go-getter. He was an upfront guy. And he just, just jumped out of the boat and started walking on the water. That's not what it says. The Bible says that he stopped what he was doing. He looked out there and here's what he said. Lord, if that's you, command me to come. And Jesus said, come. Peter did not walk on the water. He walked on the Word. He was upheld by the Word of the living God. And that's how our Christians should walk. We should do nothing until we hear something from our captain. Amen? And not move out until we hear. But when we hear from him, don't hesitate to move out and keep your eyes on him. Amen? And so the golden lampstand is what the holy place is lit up by. But now, Ken, we come to the most holy place. And old buddy, the greatest light of all comes there. The light of the world comes there. The most holy place is lit up by none other than the presence of the living God. Can you imagine what a sight that must have been throughout the day and throughout the night? Could you imagine the encouragement after leaving what you knew, even though you were a slave, you got used to slave living. Most Christians are accommodated and used to slave living. As a matter of fact, you live so long as a slave, when you get free, you want to go back to slavery. And get uncomfortable. Can you imagine the encouragement it must have been to be able to stand there day at night and gather your children around and say, listen to me, here's the deal. Here's the deal. We might be out here in the wilderness and we're nomads and we don't yet have a permanent home, but let me tell you something right now. Look right there. The God of glory is with us. Look right there. Could you imagine before you go to bed at night and you do your family devotions, you could take your children outside the tent and say, look right there. Do you see the glory of the living God. We might be out here doing what we're doing, but our God is with us. Amen. Maybe that's a message to you this morning. If you're a believer and things are confusing around you and people have disappointed you and let you down, people that you've vested a lot of confidence in and people you should have vested a lot of confidence in and your heart's been broken, let me tell you something right now. Peer into the Scriptures and rest in the confidence of this, that He will never leave you and He will never forsake you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He loves you. But look at what it's lit up. It's lit up by the Shekinah glory of God Himself. Look at chapter 40 of Exodus. Go with me over there. Turn right and let's go to chapter 40 of Exodus. Right quick like. This is the last chapter in the book of Exodus. Look what it says about the light in the most holy place. Alright? You there? Look what it says here. <clears throat> We're going to look in verses 30 through 38. Okay? He set the laver between the tabernacle of the meeting and the altar and put water there for washing. And Moses, Aaron, and his sons would wash their hands and their feet with water from it. And whenever they went into the tabernacle of meeting, and when they came near the altar, they washed as the Lord had commanded Moses. And he raised up the court all around the tabernacle and the altar and hung up the screen of the court gate. So Moses finished the work. Can I say this to you? Just as a parenthetical word. The Bible says in Philippians 1.6, He who began a good work in you is going to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Amen. You're to rest in that. He started it and he's going to finish it, brother or sister. That encourages me. Because if it were left up to me as guber-headed as I am, we'd be in trouble. I'd be in trouble. Then it says, okay. Then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. 
And Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting because the cloud rested above it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And whenever the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle, the children of Israel would go onward in all of their journeys. But if the cloud was not taken up, that they would not journey till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was above the tabernacle by day and was over it by night. Look, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Praise His holy name. You never walk alone, believer. You never walk alone. And so there are the three sources of light. I want you to look at Revelation chapter 21, verse 23. And we looked at this before, but let's go back to it. So we've got three sources of light. We've got the courtyard light, which is natural sunlight. Everybody enjoys that and is blessed by it. Then we've got the light in the, in the holy place, which is the golden lampstand. And then we've got in the most holy place, hallelujah, Al, the very presence of the living God and the glory of the living God that illuminates that area. Look at Revelation chapter 22, verse 5. It talks about the uh, light in heaven. And the Bible says, or 21-23, I'm sorry, go to 21-23 first. Look at 21-23. The city, this is talking about heaven. The city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it for the glory of God illuminated and the Lamb is its light. Amen. Heaven is going to be lit up by the presence of God. I remember when my dad was on his deathbed and we knew that it wasn't going to be long before he died. And I was in his bedroom there with me and my dad by myself. And boy, when you get like this, you're really interested in what heaven's like. And Dad said, what's heaven like, son? And we began to look at this text, and we began to look at it together. And I said, Dad, this is what it's like. It's what the Bible says it's like. And we started reading together what heaven looks like. And I'm, he's there right now, and I can't wait to see him. But I'm going to tell you something right now. We're, to wait, we're not to wait to our deathbed to be concerned about what it's like. Because this isn't home. I'm just passing through. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Don't build a house. Pitch a tent. This is temporary. Amen. And it's illuminated by the presence of God Himself. And that's what they got to see. Now, don't you look at this. Watch this. This is all coming to an end. A glorious end. We're on the winning team if you're a believer. But look at this. Look at, look at Revelation 22.5. Watch this. It says, There shall be no night there. There shall need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Can I ask you a question? Look at it now. There shall be no night there. They shall need no lamp. What does that refer to? The golden lampstand. We won't need it. Amen? We'll be in the presence of God. There'll be no sun. What does that refer to? The courtyard light. The natural light and the sunlight, we won't need that either. And well, you know what? We'll be lit up by the third one in the most holy place, the presence of the living God. Hallelujah! Amen! Amen! Encourage one another with these words. Jesus is coming back. It doesn't matter if the Democrats or the Republicans are in charge because God's in charge of both of them. Amen? Hallelujah. 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 Alright, let's keep looking. So we've got the Ark of the Testimony. We've got the seven pieces of furniture. There are about eight, seven ways that it's referred to in the Bible. I'm going to go through these quickly. You might want to write them down. In the Old Testament, they're referred to the Ark of the Testimony. You'll see it several different ways, but it's talking about this same piece of furniture. In Exodus chapter 25, verses 10 through 22, which is what we just read, it's called the Ark of the Testimony. In Numbers 10, verse 33, it's called the Ark of the Covenant. We most of us know it as that. 
In Joshua chapter 3, verse 11, it's called the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord God of all the earth. In 1 Samuel 3, 3, it's called the Ark of God. In 1 Kings 2, 26, it's called the Ark of the Lord God. In 2 Chronicles 35, 3, it's called the Holy Ark. Oh boy, I love this one. In Psalm 132, it's called the Ark of Your Strength. It is the most holy piece of furniture in the tabernacle. It is where we're aimed. It is where we're headed. It's the presence of the living God. Now before we go on, now we've got the seven pieces of furniture in the tabernacle. We're complete with the furnishings. We've not yet talked about the coverings. I want us to take a look at how the, the tabernacle is displayed in the Gospel of John. Go with me to John chapter 1 verse 29. Will you go with me? These all seven pieces of these furniture, of this furniture, points to Jesus Christ. Look at John 1.29. I love this. John the Baptist, the Bible says when he was promised as a miraculous birth, as a gift to uh, his parents, um, that he was going to be full of the Holy Spirit from birth. He was full of the Holy Spirit. Well, this is evidence of the fact that he was full of the Holy Spirit because when he laid his eyes on Jesus as an adult and saw Jesus coming toward him as an adult, he was able to recognize him. He said, okay, because he was why? Full of the Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit do? He will testify of me. So everybody else around saw with human eyes, but this guy, John the Baptist, saw with supernatural eyes. And he looks up and he says what? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now what does that refer to? That refers to the bronze altar. The bronze altar is where the lamb's throat was cut. The bronze altar was where the lamb was burnt and the offering was made. The bronze altar is the cross. How is Jesus going to take away the sin of the world? By just looking the other way and saying, Oh, shucks. I didn't really mean it about the law and all that stuff. I was just kidding, joking around. Y'all come up to heaven and just, just have a party together because I love you after all. How is, going to, how is God going to love an ungodly man like me, a rebel like me, and stay just and make a way for me to have a relationship with Him? The only way, the only way is through the death of the substitute. That was the only way. The way of the cross leads home. Amen? He can't remain just and forgive the unjust at the same time. He has to, it has to be a substitute because God's serious about His law. He's a just God. He's also a Savior. That's the bronze altar. Look at John 4.10. Turn to the right. Look at John 4.10, if you will. John chapter 4, verse 10. This is a wonderful exchange between Jesus and the woman at the well. And you'll recall it. Nobody can make claims like this. You've got to come to a conclusion about Jesus. He forces you to come to, to, come to a conclusion. You have to either, 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 either believe one of three things about Him. Either that He was the Son of the living God and what He claimed was true. Or he was a pathological liar, or he was out of his mind. One of the three. But you've got to make a choice regarding the Son of God. And nobody can say this except Jesus. He legitimately looked at this woman, and look what a claim he made, Joshua. Look at it right here. It says, Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And he goes on to verse 13 and says, Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water and this well that you're going after will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. For the water that I shall give him will well up to a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. I'm going to give you living water. What is that a picture of? The bronze laver. That's a picture of the bronze laver. Now, let's go at John 6.35. 
Move with me to John 6.35. Now the Gospel of John shows Jesus as being God. That's the theme. It's His deity. That Jesus is God. You remember, the Lamb is its light when it said that in heaven. I love that and where it tells us that in Revelation 21. You recall this one? It's very obvious which one this points to. Look at John 6.35. What does He say? He said to them, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. What does that point to? The table of showbread. He's the bread of life. Now, let's look at John 8.12. Look one more over. John 8.12. All seven pieces of furniture are in here. All seven point to Jesus. And we're going to get this anchored before we move on to the truth in the most holy place. Look at John 8.12 Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Now, what does that point to? The golden lampstand. Okay, we see him in the golden lampstand. Now the golden altar. Look at John 17. And we're going to look at verse 9. John 17, verse 9. The golden altar, the intercessory prayer relationship that we have with the Father. Can I just say this to you parenthetically? Can I just mention this to you? The Lord's Prayer is found here. The Lord's Prayer is not our Father which art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. That's the disciples' prayer. That's the model prayer for you and I. Jesus has no need to pray for forgiveness of sin. He's sinless. Amen? This is the prayer. This is the Lord's prayer right here. This is the intercessory prayer that Jesus makes on behalf of all believers, including you and I. Hallelujah, hallelujah. The other prayer is not the Lord's prayer. It's really the model prayer. It's really the disciples' prayer. So let's just get that. Let's get our tool. Let's get our orientation right here. Look at John 17, verse 9. He says, I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you, Father, have given me, for they are yours. All are mine. All of mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. The intercessory prayer of Jesus points to which furniture? The golden altar of incense. Amen? That's the next one. Okay, now look at John 19.34. John 19.34. This will help you when you're reading the Genesis account about the creation of man and woman. Look at John 19.34. All of these things, pictures of Christ. John chapter 19, verse 34. Okay? It says, You recall this happening on the cross, but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. Blood and water. He was dead signifying of his death. Blood and water spilling out of his side. Let's go look at Genesis chapter 2. Go with me. Go all the way to the left. Way over yonder. To Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. What well, Nancy mentioned last week that God had her in Genesis chapter 3 all week. And how that God knew from the beginning it was going to be through His Son that our redemption is purchased. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And God knew from the beginning what it was going to take to birth a church. And it was through the substitutionary gift of His Son. Now look at Genesis chapter 2, verses 21 and 22. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. 
And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Okay, what happened? In the Garden of Eden, God put Adam to sleep. God was the first anesthesiologist. As a matter of fact, the guy that invented anesthesia was a Christian. And he read this account and that's what led him to come up with the invention. And when, he, when God went in there and put him to sleep, and what did he do? He pierced his side and out came a bride. Well, guess what happened in John chapter 9, verse 34? God pierced his precious son and out came blood and water and God delivered up to him a bride called the church. Came from his side. Amen. 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 What is that a picture of? That's a picture of the tabernacle. That God, uh, the, the Ark of the Covenant. And that, that place where that covenant relationship was cut by the blood of Jesus Christ is Calvary. And what did Jesus, what did God do for the Son? God did for the Son what He promised He would do for Him. He said, Son, if you die on the cross in obedience to my response, to, to my will, to pay for the sin of mankind, I will deliver to you a bride. Hallelujah. And Jesus purchased us with His blood. And God's going to give Him what He paid for. Hallelujah. 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 So the tabernacle is all about Jesus Christ. It's not only pictured in, the, in John, but it's also pictured in Revelation. Go look at it right here with me. In Revelation. And the Bible shows us here. The tabernacle now you see it in the book of John, the Gospel of John. And now we see it in Revelation. I'm going to go through this quickly because we're about to have the Lord's Supper. Revelation chapter 6 and verse 9. Revelation 6 9. We see the altar of the martyrs which points to the bronze altar. 6 9 it says Revelation chapter 6 verse 9. When he opened up the fifth seal I saw under the altar the souls of those who have been slain for the Word of God and for the testimony which they held. Their testimony is Jesus. Your testimony is Jesus. My testimony is Jesus. That's the bronze altar. Then in Revelation 4.6. Look at Revelation 4.6. Go with me to Revelation 4.6. Turn over here. And the Bible talks about the glass sea. The sea of glass. It looks like a sea of glass leading up to the throne of the living God. Revelation 4.6. It says... Before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne there were living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. The sea of glass, and what does that refer to? Yes, the bronze labor where the washing took place. But it's a giant sea. It's a big sea because it's, 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 it's symbolic of the fact that God cleaned all the redeemed from every tribe, tongue, and nation, including me and you if you know him this morning. Amen. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Now look at Revelation 2.17. Revelation 2.17. I know we're going through a whirlwind tour here. But let's go to Revelation 2.17. Very obvious what this will point to. Revelation 2.17. says, He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. And I will give him a white stone. And on the stone, a new name. And son, you don't believe how much confidence that breeds in me. Because God's going to give me a name that's decidedly male. Hallelujah. I'm tired of getting letters from Mrs. Lindsay Lewis all the time. I'm a member of the Concerned Women for America. How in the world that happened, I do not know. It's the truth. 
A new name written in which no one knows except him who receives it. Well, look what it says. The hidden manna to eat. What does that point to? The golden lampstand. None other than the golden lampstand. Amen? And then look at Revelation chapter 8 and verse 3. And you'll recall this one. Seldom does my brother Ray ever pray that he didn't ever mention this, and I love it. He didn't mention about the golden, the bowls of incense that are saved in the form of the prayers of God's people. Look at Revelation chapter 8, verse 3, and it says, Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar, and he was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar with which was before the throne. What does that point to? The golden altar. The altar of incense, the prayers of God's people. Look at Revelation chapter 11, verse 19. Chapter 11, verse 19. Says, The temple of God was opened in heaven. And watch this. And the ark of His covenant was seen in His temple. And there were lightnings, noise, thunderings, and earthquake, and great hail. This is a picture of heaven, believers. Look at, look at Hebrews chapter 8. Go with me. Hebrews chapter 8. And you can keep your Bible there for just a minute. Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8. Speaking of the heavenly tabernacle, as it's compared with the earthly one that we're studying here. We're studying the earthly tabernacle in order to glean heavenly truth. Did you hear that? We're studying the earthly tabernacle in order to glean heavenly truth. And here's what it says. Look. Verse 5. Who served the copy and the shadow of the heavenly things. As Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle and he said, see that you make it according to the pattern shown to you on the mountain. It had to come by revelation because it, is it typifies and is symbolic of those things which are in heaven. It's heaven come down on earth. It's the Word made flesh. That's what Jesus said. And tabernacled among us that God made good on His promises through His Son, and we study the tabernacle in order to glean heavenly truth. Look at uh, Hebrews 9.11. Look at 9.11. Turn just over a little bit there. It's in Revelation, because Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and the more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with His own blood He entered the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant is once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Amen. It's a picture of heaven. Look at Hebrews chapter 9 and look at verses 23 and 24. Look at 23 and 24. We're studying an earthly tabernacle in order to glean heavenly truth. Because this is a picture of the tabernacle in heaven as it was just revealed to us in Revelation. And there's what it says. How do we know it's heaven? It's according to the pattern of heaven. It says it here. Therefore, it was necessary that the copies of the things in heaven should be purified with these, but the heavenly things with them, themselves with better sacrifices 
than these. For Christ has not entered the holy place made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. You want to get a vision of heaven? Look at the tabernacle. There it is right there. And as we journey there, and we're getting closer every day, brothers and sisters, to where we see Him face to face. And we will see, and we will live, and we will, we will be sustained by the Shekinah glory of God Himself. That's what we've got to look forward to. You know, it's been said before, and this is kind of a Christian saying that gets batted around in Christendom when we've talked about it. A lot of the things that get batted around in Christendom are very much unchristian. And here's one of them. That some people are so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. The truth of the matter is, is that you're no earthly good until you're heavenly minded. The truth of the matter is that we're to set our mind above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. We're to fix our hope there. We're to get our eyes there. And you cannot determine and you cannot assess and you can't really carve out a journey here until you're looking at heaven because it's from heaven that we can accurately interpret what's going on down here. And we talked about it before and C.S. Lewis said it really well. He said, aim for heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim for earth and you'll get neither. That's the truth. That's the truth. That's the truth. This is the tabernacle of the living God and we can live in His presence and abide there day by day and nobody can steal that from the believer. That's your inheritance, believer. That's mine. Let me ask you a question. Do you know Him this morning? Have you ever repented toward God and put faith in His Son? Are you just counting on the fact that God's merciful and gracious and when it's all settled down and He looks at your account, the good's going to weigh out the way the bad? Or maybe your motives were pure. Maybe they were pure more often than not. And you're thinking you're just counting on your good behavior to get you to heaven. Can I know that that... Can I tell you this? That's the sure way to go straight to hell. That's the way to make a beeline to hell. Because the only way to heaven is through repentance toward God, putting our faith and trust in His blessed Son and the blood that He was shed on Calvary for you and I. And believer, let me ask you a question. We're about to go through the Lord's Supper. You know what? If we're not careful, that can become a routine. We're guarded about that. We try not to do it. Pastor Dave and I have sought the Lord about this and we're still seeking Him about this. But we don't want to do it too infrequently. Because that's that's a that's the wrong excess. But we want to we don't, but we don't want to do it so frequently that it loses its meaning. And I don't know what the balance is there. But let me tell you this: I really personally think we probably ought to do it every week. And we ought to be so pumped up and so ready when we come before the Lord's table and so appreciative of the blood that was shed on Calvary that it will mean something to us week in and week out. And it never will be routine if we're fanning the flames throughout the rest of the week. Believer, He did the work of the cross for you. And He wants to do the work across in us. The provision is made. Look at the tabernacle. God has set it up. We can abide in sweet fellowship with Him day by day through the cross and the resurrection of His blessed Son. Don't get cold toward those things.